Welcome to another episode of the RevTech Revolution. Today, Betsy is speaking with Jonathan Fianu, Director of Global Revenue Operations and Business Development at Comply Advantage. Join us as Jonathan shares insights from his unique career journey from entrepreneur to sales leader to RevOps executive. Betsy and Jonathan also discuss key RevOps topics like architecting flexible teams, establishing data benchmarks, and leveraging AI. Let's dive right in on the RevTech Revolution. Jonathan, thank you so much for making time and joining us here at the RevTech Revolution. It is spectacular to see you. Happy Friday and uh, welcome. (laughs) Happy Friday to you, Betsy. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's start off by having you do a little bit of an introduction to the audience about you and your journey into revenue operations. Yep, absolutely. And look, I think for for myself, it's been um, very, very much of an atypical path. Um, if I go way, way back, um, I was actually an entrepreneur for for many years uh, after university, doing all sorts of different things, Betsy. I, I think we'll need another podcast to really dig into it. Um, but what I really took from that journey was um, my my love of selling and love of the commercial part of of, of building um, a business. Um, and I thought, look, let me just start at the foundation um, and, and build up from there. So um, I went and, and became a, a business development representative, a BDR or SDR, as it's termed, did that for 18 months, then became an enterprise AE um, and then a sales director. Um, and so I, I had a big part of my, my journey. One of the big stepping stones was being a sales professional. Um, and I do think that does have um, a real advantage when you start to look at revenue operations. You can come at it from different angles, but that stepping stone I found was really key for me. Um, and then from there, um, well, whilst I was a, a sales professional and going through that journey, I was constantly um, aligned to different systems. So I was in charge of the CRM um, as well as selling, but also uh, the person in charge of um, helping to structure it and admin on it. Um, I would, as I was sort of progressed from enterprise AE to sales director, I became more involved in the handover process between marketing and uh, sales, sales and CS. And so I, I was already close to revenue operations whilst I was in that period. And then um, I had the opportunity to, to really just focus in on it at Comply Advantage. Um, so a rapidly growing scale up headquartered in London, but with bases in New York and also Singapore. And they wanted someone who had been a sales professional before and who wanted to take that, that next step into, into revenue operations. And so I've been doing that now for the last, uh, three years. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's a massive passion area for me. Um, and we've seen, you know, astronomic growth in the business and I've been able to understand how that RevOps vision can be put into place in a high growth company. Um, but to, in, in sort of recap, I'd say there's an entrepreneurial journey, which kind of led with the creativity part of things. And then the sales professional journey from BDR to sales director, and then starting off and, and building out the revenue operations team. There's so much to dive into <laughs> there. So um, let me, st- let me ask a couple questions about all that. Sure. So, um, in terms of your entrepreneurial journey and your sales journey before you got into RevOps, uh, what are a couple of the pain points that drove you more towards process and or technology or even data? Like, mm. what about what you experienced in those first two parts of your career pushed you towards this as the kind of culmination or at least the current culmination of where you are? That's a, that's a really great question, Betsy. And um, I would frame it like this, when I was an entrepreneur, one of the key challenges was around um, a CRM or database that could really suit the needs of literally a a sort of one, two man, three man band, uh, trying to um, flex and pivot and and bring a product to market. Um, And so that was a key challenge for me alongside um, data and how how to even tackle the go to market motion when you're having to do that alongside um, looking at your marketing spend alongside um, trying to speak to investors and, and so on. So there was a real 
making sure payroll goes out, all that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there was a real like um, systems challenge there. W when I was a sales professional, um, CRMs had already kind of really taken off, you know, quite considerably by that point. Um, Salesforce was still a key, like, you know, uh, CRM in the, in the ecosystem, but there was other players around that were vying sugar CRM and so on and so forth. Um, and so that was okay. It was then more process. It was how to leverage data in the process and handover and how does the data flow from team to team? That was a very nascent, um, area at the time. A lot of CROs were kind of shooting from the hip, right? I think this, I've experienced that without really thinking about data and how it flowed through. And so that was a challenge that I experienced in my sales professional journey. And it was the sum of those experiences that I took to comply advantage at the start. You know, when we set up the function, it was a case of, well, look, let's try and do things a little bit differently. How do we actually set it up to scale? How do we start to think about data systems and processes, the foundation? before then moving. It sounds like uh, the folks you work with now in terms of the way they structured your job description were very aligned with us uh, in the way we think, which is data first, right? And experience first. So 100%. get somebody who's experienced all those pain points and then have them design the systems and, and really optimize uh, for what can be. But you're spot on there, Betsy. And you know, it, it's, it's also empathy, right? It's really understanding your stakeholders, right? Their pain points, yeah. right? It's when you, yeah. when you don't have that perspective, then it's, it kind of feels a little bit alien when you're asking your stakeholders to either adopt something or when you're looking at the enablement for a particular process, it's like, why can't you just do it? It's like, but the reality is, is that the sales professionals, it's a different motion, different mindset. They've got different tasks to do. And if, you know, systems and data should be there to, to support and enable. So. I think the empathy piece is also a big part of it. I agree for sure. Yeah. And just understanding alignment of what people's goals are and uh, who's going to put data in because it's aligned with their goals and who wouldn't because it's not, Spot. right? So just simple things like that, yeah. um, that, that only a true sales professional uh, or a marketer might understand. Exactly. I think like any, any exposure to parts of that commercial journey, marketing, sales, CS, that's a benefit, right? Because then you can, you can bring that to how you start to think about deploying the system, how you start to think about the pain points and challenges around the processes and data in those respective areas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get too deep in your current <laughs> situation, tell us a little bit about the revenue technology that you're currently using and particularly like what could you not live without? Yeah. And that's <laughs> So, uh, um, thinking about this, um, look, so for me, the CRM is, it's, for me, it sits at the heart of the stack. The CRM is evolving and changing. And, you know, we see that with some of the different acquisitions that have happened in the space and also the, the range of revenue tech that's around the CRM now in terms of how, how sales professionals start to interact outside of it, but data sits within it. So the CRM for me is one of the pieces like you, you can't really live without. Um, but if I was to look at the sale, the commercial technology stack and break it into three pieces, lead gen, sales execution, and then post sale. So in terms of the lead gen side, um, we use a bunch of data providers, zoom info, Cognizant, Lucia. Um, I, I tell you, Betsy, I really wish I had them when I was, <laughs> when I was selling, um, it was much, much harder before. Um, so. At least one of those providers, Cognizant, I'm a big fan of. So one of those data providers within the lead gen stack, I think is key. We have a bunch of automation, which then um, sources accounts and contacts and enriches those. We can dig into that a little bit later uh, and brings that into the CRM. Um, and then when we start to look at the sales um, execution uh, side of things, it's everything from um, using sequences and sales engagement platforms, outreach. Um, and we have lead routing as well and the marketing automation, we use HubSpot, um, and then flowing through to the conversational intelligence piece. Um, the big players here, one of my favorite is, uh, is Gong. I think they're a fantastic, uh, CI tool. 
Um, and then you have other uh, tools that we use like uh, Clary for forecasting. And then post-sale, we look at churn zero. I'd say, you know, the CRM for me, Salesforce is like one of the key uh, CRMs that I, I, I probably um, either can't live without or you need to have some kind of CRM that's there. Um, Cognizant on the lead gen, big fan of Gong. So I've mentioned a few there, Betsy, but uh, it's, it's really hard for me to split it out just having been so close to it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I appreciate that you're dealing with, um, depending on how you characterize this, both sides of the bow tie, right? And 100%, yeah. there's the prospecting and there's the, you know, there's the actual sales execution, like you said, and then there's everything that happens to keep and grow a customer. So yeah, uh, the, the, uh, rev tech space has exploded as we all know, and it's interesting to watch the specialization and different areas of that journey um, and the consolidation in different areas of that journey as well. So a hundred percent. Like I think this is one of the most exciting periods for revenue technology at the moment. Not only are we seeing, as you say, that specialization and a real understanding of how each of these tools provide value across the, the stack, but then we're also, we're seeing the advent of, of generative AI analysts like, you, you mash the two of those together and suddenly it's very exciting indeed, right? You can start to leverage and get real power and insight to drive a business. So yeah, I think it's hugely exciting. Equally, as you shared, there's consolidation. There's this wider market to rationalize um, your stack because of, because of cost, because of efficiency. So yeah. And how, tell us a little bit about the composition of your team. Who helps you connect all of these platforms and data and make sure it all comes together? What does your team look like? Yeah, so we, um, we have um, analyst structure and the analysts um, uh, would be paired with and, and aligned to the different departments, sales, uh, marketing, uh, and, and customer success. So we have three analysts and then we also have a systems administrator and so the system administrator would be that partner between all of that tech and our stakeholders and the technology's customer success team, right? So that, um, uh, my colleague, Ollie, he'll be there to understand how outreach works in detail so that he can triage and work on issues ahead of time and only route the most essential stuff um, over to the outreach team. Um, and then my, my colleagues, uh, Samina, Evelyn and Maya then support, um, the, the wider, the wider stack. And the reality is Betsy, we've evolved as a, as a team. So previously, um, we had marketing ops and CS ops within the revenue operations function. Now those have actually split out and gone into those respective areas. Equally, Salesforce has got us now as own squad. So um, it's now got its own separate dedicated squad, just given the, the way the stack and the estate has like grown. And so, you know, what I've found is that, you know, revenue operations evolves according to the maturity of the organization. And it's been fascinating to watch. So how would you characterize the revenue operations team itself at the moment? Are you really more about the intelligence or more about the systems or how would you characterize that dichotomy? Great question. I'd say it's primarily now sales ops and insight. If I was to kind of oh. like strictly um, categorize it, the, the revenue operations team still um, liaises with our partners, Agatha in, um, in the CS ops team and, uh, you know, uh, Mark in the, in the, uh, and Jack in the, in the marketing team, but they have their own respective teams that they, they now work within. So yes, primarily um, sales ops and insight. And I think um, the insight piece is, is an area which I've been really, I've really enjoyed seeing thrive and grow within our business um, from having no reporting um, at, a, at, a, at a high level to now having just copious amounts of reporting. So it has its own, its own challenges. Yeah, right. What do you watch? What do you pay attention to? Sure. Exactly. So, but it's, it's been fascinating to watch that evolve. Yeah. What were the indicators that you needed to change from being more central to being more dispersed and specialized in sales ops and intelligence? That's, that's a really great question. And it's something that I spent um, alongside our, our CRO um, 
um, a good couple of months at the beginning, just thinking about how are we going to architect the revenue operations team for this, for the, um, size right now, but also for the scale journey that we had in the, in the, in mind. And we had to set up, um, several, um, guiding principles, so to speak. Right. So, um, I guess, uh, to, to frame this, I'd show, I'd share my understanding of revenue operations, which is, um, there's a target that the CRO or CFO holds. You have various levers, which affect that, that target revenue generation, revenue protection, revenue growth. And then you have the commercial function, which sits underneath and each of these different departments have different effects on those levers. And so, and within each of those departments, you have systems, data, and processes. And so RevOps is there to harmonize and optimize the systems, data, and processes across that commercial function. So we started from that perspective and said, okay, at this moment, um, we need to, have, um, when we started out, we needed to have analysts, which were, um, fungible. They needed to be able to work across the commercial team because we still were trying to find out exactly what were the core challenges and issues to focus on. And so at the start, we had, um, analysts, which was, um, 70% aligned to sales, but still had 30% capacity that could work across marketing and the CS team. And the capability was, was reporting. And so reporting was needed across. And so th this was, this was one of the perspectives that we had. The other was, um, another principle or, or position that we held was you can separate functional and strategic leadership. And this is a, this was a really important linchpin in how we deployed and scaled. So the idea was you could have functional leadership day to day around the role. And then you could have leadership around specific initiatives and that leadership could be, that can come from someone else. And so at the start, when we, when the traditional sales ops, marketing ops and CS ops, um, structures started to form, um, as an example, the CS ops would be reporting into me and also taking strategic guidance. And then as the CS team evolved, she would then take strategic guidance from the CS ops leader, but functional guidance from me. And then over time, she would then split and have functional and strategic guidance directly within the CS team. And so the, we had to have like certain positions, we had to have certain principles and approaches, and then we were just responding to the data and the growth of the business as we went along. Sounds really smart. How did you come up with this roadmap? <laughs> So I, I, I can't, I can't take all the credit here. So it was, um, th this was, this was in partnership with our, with our CRO. This was, um, listening to, um, the different stakeholders across the business. Um, this was listening to different team members who then joined as well and, and brought in their influence. It's something that evolved over time, but we started from a position, which was, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go with the status quo from the set. We're going to put in something that is flexible and adapt as we go along. Yeah, smart. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, anything you do differently based on where you are now? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we had a, there was a ton of learnings throughout all stages of this, right? So um, working around, like, in order to make this work, you need to create um different or called mission-based squads around problems that are typically across different departments. And so the journey to that is it, the journey of learning is, um, is quite long when you're just, um, when you're starting out and, and you have no real sort of framework. And, and let me explain that, which means we, we had to kind of understand our benchmarks and we had to look at where we were trying to progress to and look at the different stages, but we didn't think about how we could template that whole approach out from initiative to initiative. So each initiative would, we would start right from the very beginning yeah, yeah. and it was a very like arduous process. We didn't move as fast as we could have. Um, and, and yeah, I think like looking at automation sooner, perhaps. Um, I think, uh, automation is a great way to address scale challenges. 
And so, yeah, that's another learning that we kind of took a little bit later um, on in the process. So there was learnings like that that we had to kind of take on board. Um, thank you so much for sharing all that. Like it's the details that I think mean um, a lot to the listeners because in the past we've had some, we have terrific guests and, and we'll talk strategically, but actually getting down into organizational structure and the way it morphs over time is certainly unique to culture. Um, but I think you've given some, like a nice, a nice schematic that would be great to see on the back of a napkin somewhere. Um, but also a, a good um, evolution of where you've come from. I want to shift just a little now into data and, and, you know, maybe again with that same lens of where did you start and where are you now? What are the, what were the biggest challenges for you when it came to data? Yeah. So this is, this is, genuinely one of my favorite um areas and topics right so um we um my cro posed a challenge when i first joined he's like look how do we increase quantity and increase quality at the same time and yet traditionally this is like a seesaw right you, you know this betsy it's, it's like hey if you want to bring in a whole lot of data yeah great but then when you test it, track it, you know, make a call, send an email. It's like, okay, this data is not great. Um, and then if you want to get really tight on the quality, put in a ton of gates, well, you can't move very fast and the pool is small. So the question was, how can we, how can we do both? Like it was almost, um, it was almost a stubborn question. Like, no, I don't accept that this seesaw is the only way forward. There's got to be another way. Um, and again, thinking in the same principle around, okay, what's our guiding point or principle or position on this? Um, we came to this understanding, which is the minute a data point is in your system, it's technically out of date. It's a kind of like, bit like Schrodinger's cat kind of idea, right? Until you, a data point's in your system, but until you actually make a call, send an email, actually check if that person is still at the business or you have a system in order to do so, you think it's correct. It is technically correct until you actually perform an action. You find actually it's not. Yeah, it's inert. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we worked from that position. And so we then broke down the core workflows. Um, in, in, in essence, data for us and I think for most businesses uh, and supporting the sales function is accounts, contacts, opportunities, right? It's companies that you want to talk to. It's people that you want to engage with. So um, we broke down four core workflows, account sourcing. So finding new companies, um, uh, account enrichment, right? Finding the, the LinkedIn, the size, uh, the location, um, finding new people. Um, so finding new contacts and contacting and then contact enrichment as well. So um, new email and a new phone number. So four core workflows, and we understood that our position here was that you would always have, you'd have to be in this constant state of enrichment. So the first thing that we did was really just set our benchmarks, which Betsy was not, uh, you know, now, now it sounds even, even as I'm saying it, it sounds easy. Like, okay, we'll just find out how many, how many contacts and accounts you have. That's very difficult when you inherit a database of unknown quality. It's like, and I haven't been in a business where the CRM is clean. Oh, wow. everything is exactly as I expect it to be. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. It's like buying an old house, right? You walk in, you walk into the old house, you're like, oh, this is lovely. And then all of a sudden you open up a cupboard and you're like, oh, okay, I got to fix that. Oh, okay, I got to fix that. Yeah. The domino exactly. effect. Exactly. So it was like just just getting to the journey of understanding what is our accounts and contacts was like super important. And, and we did it by splitting into quantity and quality. And we chose quantity first. It's the easiest one, right? Okay. Let tell me how many accounts that you have within your target segment that have had these particular fields or attributes filled in. Just count them for me. So the quantity side was easier. Um, and we kind of got into a rhythm of just trying to understand that. And then we had to define what the quality side was. And that was like, okay, um, how are you going to define 
what um, a, a high quality contact is. What is a high quality account? And so that was a super fascinating journey in understanding, well, what attributes do you want to track? How do you start to break those down? So for us on the contact side, it was, okay, emails, it was checking for certain bounces. It was bringing a phone number in. It was making sure there was feedback loops from all the systems to tell if there was a bounce, et cetera, um, or, you know, a do not call or uh, a wrong number. So we had that whole kind of piece in there. Um, and then for accounts, we said, well, a high quality account was a contact that was a high quality contact within the persona that we actually wanted to target. Yeah. And um, how did engagement play in here? Um, it sounds like you have a lot of kind of static stuff. Well, you're actually talking about a lot of closed loops, but were you also using engagement as a guide or how did that work? Um, the team was using um, outreach as our sales engagement um, platform. And so that would feed into, into, into Salesforce and into, into our data pool again. That would in turn you know, feed our different reports. This, even that is not straightforward, Betsy. Like, um, an example is, oh, uh, outreach has said that it has bounced, right? It's legitimately said that it has bounced. And then you check it with another system and you find, oh, actually, no, it, it didn't bounce. It was actually fine. Right. Oh, okay. So maybe right. it's now domain reputation. Maybe it's in a catch all. So like we had to like uncover these like little nuances with the data, which you just don't see or don't understand when you first look at it. It was an evolving piece there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and how long did this part of the journey take you? Oh, that, oh, that took us like, it took us around 18 months to get right. Yeah. To really yeah. like, to really get to the point where we're like, here's what a quantity metric looks like. Here's what a quality metric looks like. I can tell you definitively how many accounts and contacts within target meet that um, criteria. And I can tell you which systems powered individual attributes of it and how those are performing over time. Yeah, that's a, that's a 18 month, two year journey, uh, Betsy. Yeah. And how do you get the teams that are working on it during that 18 month journey to come along? Because of course they're ready for the end state yesterday. So how do you how do you get the time to go through? Because I love the kind of principles first approach. It sounds like you're taking and you're doing a like very thorough job here. But you've got the day to day scrum of you know all these people using the system cranky with you. So how, how do you how do you balance all that? Yeah. So um, the first piece was setting expectations with um, the leadership within each of those teams to say, okay, look. We're going to go on this journey. We're going to be super communicative around how we're progressing towards it. But you need to understand that um, it's not going to be like click tomorrow. Data's great. There's going to be angst. We're going to get some things wrong. We're going to be doing a test, learn, iterate approach. And by definition, some things may not work. So uh, the, the first bit was like huge amount of like expectation setting. Then it was constant communication. And that communication isn't just in, oh, let's have a meeting. It's here are our OKRs. Here's, here's the metrics. Here's how, they're, here's how the benchmarks are trending. So everyone can see it. Everyone can access it. Um, and so expectation management, communication, those were two kind of core pillars. Um, and then it was um, constantly going back to our core stakeholders. So we would go back. Every, every time we would do, um, we'd get a request for an enrichment or for a new account sourcing, maybe for a go-to-market initiative, we would go back to that stakeholder, even though we're seeing certain information in the data, we'd say, okay, we'd love to get your feedback as to what was going on. And that was like fascinating, right? We would, we would get data from our databases and we would see certain segments and we're like, Great, we've done our job. You asked for this segment. It's in that segment. Here we go. And then the stakeholder, like sales leader, will be like, "This is this is rubbish. Like like these these are clearly not fintechs, or these are clearly not etc." And so you'd have to go back. And that was when we started to build little 
um, fixes um, such as, okay, always look at the description along as the website, look at the other fields alongside the data extract, see if those yeah. actually tie up. So that was part of the journey. Um, and yeah, the, you know, I thank the team for their patience because it was, it was a long journey. And as you were doing those types of projects, it sounds like you were also extrapolating the learnings from that across all the other things, right? So if there was a particular segment in go-to-market that you were finding all these things out, then you obviously were able to benefit across the whole platform and put those rules into place. And the other stakeholders benefited from the projects that were in current in real time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and it was it was not even, it was a two-way street, Betsy, because we were also learning from others in the business. So um, Comply Advantage is um, a financial crime scale-up. We essentially um, take in sanctions data, politically exposed person's data, negative news or adverse media, and we bring in all that data and we work with different financial um, parties and, and financial institutions to make sure they're not working with bad actors. But the actual work within there is like super... Um, uh, super interesting. Like the teams are looking at fuzzy logic, right? Is this name similar to this other name? Um, how many characters different does that, you know, can we tolerate, right? So we were working with those teams and saying, okay, cool. What, what can you tell us around how you're looking at data? And we start to feed that into ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Working in a data business to get that feedback loop and, and improve what you're doing. Yeah. That's terrific. Um, well, let's go to something you mentioned earlier, which is generative AI. So tell me how you guys are thinking about that. How are you integrating that into what you do every day? And, um, and, and then I have some follow-ons after that. Betsy, I think, um, I think this is just a huge, huge area. I mean, like it goes without saying, but like, I, I, I know some people are, uh, apprehensive, um, there's some, like some people uh, are scared, right? Like, or, 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 and some people may, may not immediately see the value. And the reality is they're all right. We are all right. There's huge potential. There's also a huge risk. There's also, it doesn't also solve all the problems, right? So, however, I do think it's like a seismic shift. So my encouragement is like lean in, lean in. So I'll be honest, I was late to the party. I mean, I think I'm still relatively early, but I was late to it when, when Dali first came out, the sort of image, um, uh, the image side of it, I was like, what is this? Quite understand it. Then ChatGPT came out and was like, wow, okay, people are really talking about this thing. Let me give it a go. And you just have to try it a few times. And you're just like, this thing is absolute fire. Like, what is this? This is amazing. Uh, so, so the first thing we did is we use it in our, in our prospecting and just for refinement, doing some kind of cool things like, um, you take a LinkedIn profile, you'd like, you know, take some key points. You'd like get an icebreaker on the, on the back of it, use that as a way to like, um, you know, speak to, to different, um, prospects. And that was like kind of a, a fun way of, um, of using it. And at the moment, like I've seen, I've seen now different, um, solutions, um, tackling within the revenue space that are hugely exciting. So that's beyond what we're using at the moment. They're just more things that I'm seeing. Um, but everything from just simply, um, typing in what you'd like to see and, you know, it being connected to your sales data all the way through to companies, which are connecting to your resource hub and you ask a question and it's then forming the correct answer. So no more of these like. Hey, on Slack, Hey, can you help me with this, this thing? And that's like the millionth time that someone's asked that question. So, so, so like there's some really cool stuff happening, but like for ourselves, we've just been using it in prospecting, but I've been encouraging the teams like lean in, lean in, lean in. Yeah. I was just going to ask you that because, uh, I think it's obviously a full contact sport, right? And you've got a, it, it, uh, what we've been doing in experimentation is a lot of the copy stuff, um, but the hallucinations have slowed people down. So I think the first time they get kind of a negative experience, they're like, ah, it's not, you know, it doesn't help. So, you know, it'll be interesting to watch this 
uh, evolution of people's understanding of what it's good for and what it's not, and when to use it. Um, but what we're hearing a lot about um, across the ecosystem, Salesforce included, is this idea of next best action and how can it, how can both automation and uh, large language models be used to start offering up an analysis of where things are and what should be done next so that, you know, ostensibly efficiency goes up for the salesperson. So any any experience with that yet or any thoughts about that direction the market's headed or that, the hype cycle of all of that? I, I think it's great. So, so like, I'm, yeah. fully, I'm fully with it. Um, and I'd say um, I've seen now, um, I've seen maybe three companies, interestingly enough, in like completely different areas. So one company from Israel, one company in the US, one company in London, um, all tackling and describing, d doing what you've just described, or at least starting to build a product which would do that. Um, however, the vision I think that um, should really, that will play out in the future is one where the next best action is, is, um, is inferred and shared proactively without your like input or required, like your sort of prompting. It's simply saying, I've been looking at your data. I understand your company is in within this particular cohort of others. I'm looking at different metrics, which you typically track. I can see that this is a lagging indicator. This is a leading indicator for a certain problem. Here's a suggestion on the root cause that others have provided. This will all be given directly to you. Like as you wake up in the morning, it's like, go after these five things to either protect, increase or like defend your revenue and your position. So um, I think that's where it's all headed. I think there is a journey though to it. Um, part of the journey is um, uh, part of the is data security, right? Like, you know, you, you, people don't want to just put all of their data into one of these systems. I've seen some smart ways of getting around it, right? In terms of only holding it for a certain period, only sharing like snippets, the key snippets that are needed, deleting afterwards, et cetera. So that's not insurmountable, but it is an issue. Um, the next piece is, is thinking about how to deal with um, the sort of time series issue or in terms of tracking over time, right? A lot of the forecasting solutions out there have kind of cracked that by just taking snapshots of every single action on every single data point. Unless you have that, looking historically is going to be really tricky. Um, and then, and then there's the, the piece around, um, just how do you start to like synthesize the right, um, the right action based on the metrics and based on what you're seeing? There's almost a bit of, um, there's almost like a sort of revenue, uh, uh, revenue layer that needs to be built in that says when this metric goes up, this metric goes down, it means this, and these are the factors that typically drive it. That's not something that I think the system just would automatically know. It will know once you've told it. So I think there's there's a few hurdles, but um, we're going at like lightning pace here. So Yeah. Um, are you finding, going back to your point about the unique business that you're in and the product side, are they already experimenting with these types of large language models, identifying patterns and starting to make recommendations? Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see what you can apply. Exactly, and, and that's what makes um, the whole, like it's gonna be transforming like huge, like all industries, right? Um, okay, not all, but a large, many, la many, 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 yeah. many, many industries, Betsy. Um, uh, you know, ours, ours included, and we're starting to see it already. Yeah. How much do you worry about the underlying data and its, you know, quality and veracity to actually feed into those things that are starting to make, you know, it sounds like you've got things down because of the 18 months you've spent there. But, um, you know, maybe on a scale of one to 10, how much is data quality a worry for you as we get into this world? Um, it, it is a it's a big worry. Because, um, and I'd say probably, um, probably a seven, right? Um, it's, that seems high given the effort that we put in, but I, I like working on that same principle, all of our, all of our motions, our actions could also be technically out of date, right? There, there's new approaches that can be taken. Um, 
the data sources or databases that you use that you relied upon that were great, suddenly they depreciate. So um, it's it's always going to be a, a, like a hot button piece um, for me. Look, Betsy, you, you just hit it on the nail, which is it's garbage in, garbage out, right? If the data, if the underlying data is not great, or if your sales data is is messy, then you know you, you're you're not going to be able to infer or or, or, or glean the right answers, right? Or the right insights. So um, this is something that I think um, everyone needs to be really thinking about right from the very beginning. And I remember when I joined um, Comply Advantage, one of the first projects that um, I was tasked with was the configure price plot, um, CPQ, right? Because it was like, you know what? We need to have guardrails on the data. We need to understand contracted data. We need to understand utilization. We need we need it to be in a workable form in order for us to really run in the future. And so this is the thing I, I'd encourage everyone to really think about the data quality, how to make sure like any investments that you make in streamlining it, improving it are going to be worth it. And how much of that is... Uh, human or organizational structure versus automations and processes you're layering on? Like, what's your sense of that at the moment? So I think, I think um, at the beginning, it's, it's the organization, right? You need to bring this like data first mindset to the business at the very beginning, or else no one's really going to be motivated to do much, or they're going to be tolerating something which they, they, they really shouldn't. So at start, it's really having that data mindset. But then after that, you need to you need to start to think about what the automation journey looks like and how to deploy it. And one of the drivers for us um, when we were looking at the lead gen side and automation there was selfishly just cost. We're like, okay, you have a, a sales team that's you know twenty five people. Okay, that grows to fifty people. What, we're just going to have what like fifty licenses now. We're going to have just like a hundred licenses now. It's like how do you start to build the automation so that you can be more efficient with your spend, um, more efficient with, you know, how you deal with different errors, right? You're spending less time on those, right? Because things are being sorted in, in these loops. So um, I think it starts off with um, having that organizational piece, but then it very quickly, um, well, I think any automation that you also want to bring in, it comes at a cost. And again, you've got to make that case, which we had to make the case to our CFO. And it's like, we want to invest in this area. So it kind of goes back. You, only, you, you can't really make progress if your, your execs are not bought into what it means. And, and I can see your RevOps team and your execs getting bought in, right? How do you get the sales team bought in? Because, you know, it, there's that, I'm looking at the data. I don't trust the data. So therefore, I don't invest in the data. And how do you change that uh, so that they are data first and really helping with the transparency and the quality themselves? So it's it's we started off with something really fundamental here, Betsy. It was just why, 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 why is it important for for the data? Like you think about a sales professor, they're going about their busy day. They go to the CRM. They see like fifty fields. They're like. I don't even know what this one's useful, right? Like, why do I need to fill that one in? Uh, so, 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 like, if you don't explain why different fields and data is like needed for different things, no one knows. And a, a great example is um, we changed like uh, we changed like the close lost um, pick list to like, and we said, look, team, we wanted to to fill it out, do a little bit more. And some people were just like, I change it, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's it's, it's not okay. We, we, we got to explain and share marketing spend a ton of money bringing these leads in, right? You then qualify them, right? If you don't tell marketing why you've disqualified or, or get granular enough, well, that stuff's going to keep on coming, right? So you want it to be more effective. You want more of the good stuff. Suddenly people are like, ah, all right, okay. I'm bought into doing these two or three more clicks. So... It's, it starts off with why, and then it's really pairing that with like enablement and, and also um, holding your hands up when it's gone wrong, 
when, 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 when you put in something which actually is too onerous or unnecessary or major pushback, it's like, okay, we, we got that wrong. We're sorry. And being able to just walk back builds that trust and credibility. People then understand, okay, we're all in this journey together. We understand why it's happening. And then we understand, we appreciate that it can get changed if we voice reasonable opinions and, and feedback around. Yeah. I think this is another case where your history gives you the empathy to be able to yeah. have these communications that are well-received, right? Because sometimes it's all in the way you say it as you know it, right? So um, I've been on the receiving end of a well-meaning IT team who doesn't have the empathy trying to enable, and it's a very different situation on on the other end of that communication. So 100%. I think that's another kudos, kudos to your bosses for picking someone who, you know, was in it and understands it and can communicate like that. That's great. <laughs> um, tell me what you'd say to someone who's young, who's interested in getting into this field. Uh, it's the fastest growing job description on LinkedIn right now. And lots of people um, from sales, but also IT and you know, uh, even marketing are interested in the space. So what do you tell people when they ask you about the career path and what do you do first type of thing? Yeah, that's a great question, Betsy. Um, I think I'll start by sharing that there is a, we are super fortunate um, that as of this moment, there is a huge free university out there, right? There are people, there are peers, there are leaders in this space who are constantly putting out content, right? Putting out content on LinkedIn, you know, podcasts, uh, uh, books, um, uh, um, uh, different like um, frameworks, right? Um, you know, Winning by Design puts out like a ton of great content in this area as well. And there's individual leaders who, who, who are like super vocal and super like um, sharing, right? They're, they're constantly sharing. So um, the first thing I'd say is like, look, there's a ton of great leaders in this space. Um, seek them out. Seek, seek and see who's actually doing revenue operations in industries that you're passionate about and interested in. You'll find that they've got content. They'll share challenges. Like, you know, a smart person, you know, learns from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from others' mistakes, right? See what they've gone through, right? So that's the first thing. The next thing I'd share is... Um, you know, look, I think the role is very, um, it's, it's got a numerical, it's got an analytical sort of foundation. So, um, any, any kind of courses and so on in those areas, I think is, is helpful. I think there's also a ton of, um, uh, courses as well. I think Pavilion has its own like revenue operations certificate. I think it's in partnership with winning by design. So you can understand forensically how do you, how do you actually like put together these different concepts and how do they work? However, like that's all like, that's like the theory side of it. Right? Uh, you, you got to also think, look at the practical and the practical is, um, if you're not already in the role, I would look at, I would look at opportunities to, um, understand the systems that you have in your business, the data flows that you have in your business and the processes that you have. Even just speaking to different individuals who are responsible for those areas and, and trying to understand how it works. Um, uh, even just putting together your own schematic as your own understanding, you start to, um, you start to like be on that journey of, of actually what is RevOps. Um, and then really it's then up to all of us in the industry and, and in the, in, in this space to, to give the opportunity to, to others, right. Who are super interested and, and, and also have a passion for it or have the aptitude that we can see for it to help guide, to share our time. Um, like I'm constantly having like little 30 minute chats here and there with different people. I love it. I learn a ton. Right. And then also it's, it's a way to give back and give the perspective. So I think there's a bunch of areas there, but, um, we're super fortunate that as of now, like. There's just so much great content that's being produced. No question. 
Um, any first principles in this area that you use when hiring for people? I, because I came through an atypical path, I'm kind of like, I've got, a, I've got wide open for the, for the atypical. Oh, great. You, yeah. you, 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 yeah. Someone which is like very different, but also, you know, interested in the area. Yeah, I'm going to give a full look in, right? Because I understand you can come in from all quarters. Um, however, I am looking for that base of, uh, of like analytic or numerical sort of foundation, right? Because I think that's super important when you start to think about um, data, information flows, metrics, right? There's got to be some kind of understanding around it. Um, the, the kind of familiarity and exposure to different systems or different departments which, which sit around or within the revenue operations kind of sphere. Um, but to be honest, Betsy, I try and keep an open mind, right? I think, I think like, you know, anyone could be interested in this area and, and this, this area has, has, uh, people from all backgrounds. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, and I think that's, again, going back to your empathy point, it only helps because it's the entire customer journey you're supporting with data and technology and processes. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Anything that we didn't ask that you think would be helpful to other RevOps practitioners? Um, I'm not too sure. I think I think we we've had a really uh, like wide ranging discussion. Yeah, you've been on, on, on all of these areas, Betsy. Um, well, you know what? There's a piece which I think um, um, it just kind of tangential or to to your last point, which is um, just on diversity. Like I think like having more diversity. Um, within the space will be great. Um, I think within sales in general, um, yeah. I think it's super important. I think that starts with, it starts with the managers. It starts with the company. It starts with even just your messaging in the job description. But these, these things are um, little ways that you either encourage or discourage, either promote or attract or you know, um, push away different people that I think would be great for not only revenue operations, but sales in general. Um, but yeah, that's the only piece I, I kind of add, Betsy. I think we've had a really great discussion. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you so much. It's been really fun um, and, and great Friday into the weekend conversation. Absolutely. So I hope you have a terrific one. And uh, we look forward to crossing paths with you again. Awesome. Thanks, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Johnny. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into the RevTech Revolution podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues who would benefit from it. If you'd like to learn more about how Reva can help you improve your customer data operations, check out revaengine.com.